have a Bible this morning, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We want to look at verses 1 through 6. We want to look at this topic this morning. Paul warns on apostasy. When we speak about apostasia in the Greek, it's literally translated the falling away. And you're going to see this morning that Paul speaks about the falling away from the faith. And so there were these groups of people that were coming in and undermining the teachings of Paul. Undermining the teachings of the early church. They were called Judaizers. And they were becoming so staunch in this area of the law. But you're going to see that they began to teach various things. They were forbidding to marry. They were forbidding uh, concerning the meat laws. You couldn't eat this. You couldn't eat that. You need to eat this. And so they were pressing the issue. We see that today. We need to learn something that when we come to Christ, the Bible says that we're free in Christ. And we should allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And that's why we come to church on Sunday morning. We come to church on a Wednesday. And as the word comes forth, it pricks our heart. There brings conviction. But it teaches us. And it's not because Pastor Bob says it or any other teacher says it. But what does the Word of God have to say? And so let me give you just a little bit of background. The word apostasia, or the word apostasy, means a falling away. But listen to the two categories. In the Old Testament, the common classical use of the word apostasy had to do with political defection. And I give you a reference in 2 Chronicles 13.6. Let me read it to you. Jeroboam, son of Nebat... An official of Solomon, Solomon the son of David, he rebelled against his master. So apostasy. He fell away from uh, the political defection. Now, we go to the New Testament. It's a little bit different. It's more usually the meaning of religious defection. Let me give you a verse now. In Acts chapter 21, verse 21, Paul is in the temple after being with Gentiles. Now, they had accused Paul, the Jews did, of Paul bringing uh, Gentiles to the temple. He never did that. But because he had been with Gentiles, they would accuse him. And so in Acts chapter 21, verse 21, let me read it to you. But they had been informed about you, speaking of Paul, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. And so Paul was saying, you know, that the people were saying that Paul was causing others to apostate, to fall away from the faith. And so Paul comes to Timothy now. He writes this beautiful epistle. We call it a pastoral epistle. And he warns Timothy concerning apostasy in the last days. And here we are 1950 plus years later. And how much evidence today. Some of you know people that were part of the church, the body of Christ. Not necessarily here at Calvary Chapel, but we know people that go to church. We know people that are serving God. And then all of a sudden we hear they're no longer serving. And so we label them as backsliders. And basically they become apostates. They begin to fall away from their faith. Now the Bible says that God will never leave them nor forsake them. 
But what happens is they get caught up into various teachings, not listening to the Word of God, but listening to man. And you're going to see here in the first three verses, and let me just kind of bring it to your remembrance, they were falling trapped to seducing spirits, falling trapped to doctrines of demons, hypocritical lying, a seared conscience, and then listen to this. They were forbidding of marriage and abstaining from meats, which God had created for man's consumption. We see today a lot of uh, young people don't want to get married anymore. It's easier to live together. And then we hear so much today about becoming a vegetarian. You shouldn't eat the meats and they're, you know, tainted and such. And then we hear of all kinds of different outbreaks. Well, we're going to see something that Paul says, it's not about what you eat. But it's do you pray for what you eat? And it's important that we see that. And then we're going to take it back to Genesis where God created all things for our pleasure. He gave us the herbs of of the trees and of the ground. and, And then he gave us the animal lives that we can partake of. But the key is that we pray for these things. But I want you to see that these hypocritical teachers were coming and basically they were lying. Saying one thing and doing another. They were called, the word hypocrisy is hypocritos. It's the word that we draw from actors. Oh, they might have had a good script, but were they teaching from the word of God? And so let's begin here. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. The great apostasy. Look at verse 1 now. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times or the last days, some will depart from the faith. Now I like that it says some, not all. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And so here in verse 1, Paul begins to warn. And I love what he says here. Take heed to what the Holy Spirit is teaching. And so you can ask the question, why? Because in the last days, some, not all, but some will depart from the faith. The word to depart from the faith is there going to be a falling away from the faith. The enemy will come to take you away from what you believe. The enemy will come to take you away of your assurance of salvation. Oh, you're not saved. You were never really saved. And so he begins to rattle your cage, basically. But I want you to see something here. He's warning about deceiving spirits he's warning about these imposters that were coming and undermining the teachings of the gospel of jesus christ and we're going to deal with that this morning and so he uses the word deception seducing spirits spirits of deception now obviously they work through men they work through women and as they come and they teach their false doctrines They're deceiving imposters, basically. And the word spirit that is used here, they're nothing but a big bag of wind. They're nothing but a big bag of breath. It's not the power of God's Holy Spirit. And they were teaching doctrines of devils, uh, teaching doctrines of demonic warfare. And people were being drawn away. Now, I can tell you this. Being in the ministry for a long time, There's a lot of people out there that are demonically influenced. 
Look in our own community when, when you see the homeless that are walking, not, not all of them, but some of them that have been out in the streets for so long. You'll catch them. Just watch them. And they're talking to themselves. And it's like they're having a conversation with somebody. I've stopped. I've tried to help them, and some of these are lost. The enemy has them. A lot of these homeless are ex-Vietnam you know, veterans. They never got help when they got out of the war. And their minds are just tweaked. And then the enemy comes and then uh, takes over. So many that commit suicide also. But in the last days, listen, demonic spirits. In the last day, seducing spirits. They come in with deception. And many times it comes from the radio ministry. It comes from the televangelist ministry. It might even come from the pulpit. And so we must test all things, listen, by the word of God. By the word of God. I'm going to give you four verses, but I want you to listen to them. Number one, in Matthew chapter 24. If you know anything about Matthew chapter 24, it, it is a very prophetic chapter. Jesus speaks about the last days. You see, the disciples were asking Jesus a series of questions. And he says, give us some signs that will take place in the last days. And Jesus gives them four scriptures. In the last days, listen, deception, 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 deception. And so in order for us to refrain from being deceived, we need to know our word. And that's what we do here at Calvary Chapel. We teach the word of God. And I hope you don't come here just to listen to Pastor Bob and just to believe what Pastor Bob has to say, but to test all things by the word of God. Make sure that I'm teaching from the word of God. When you turn on the radio program, make sure that whoever's teaching is teaching from the word of God, not their concept. Or not pushing their ministry. When you turn on the televangelist, what is their sole purpose? Do they really want to teach you the word? Do they really want to win souls to Christ? Or are they after your financial gain? Now sow a seed of faith to this ministry. Send in your check to this ministry. And sometimes they spend more time in asking and in begging instead of teaching the word of God. So four times Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 24. Let me give you the first verse. We find it in Matthew 24, verse 4. Jesus says, take heed that no one deceives you. Take heed that no one deceives you. Now, when we look at the word take heed, pay attention that nobody deceives you. In other words, if somebody tells you, listen, uh, we need to go over here uh, to Goat Hill, and we need to go to the top of it, and we need to pray there, and right there God's going to listen to our prayers. Well, God can listen to your prayers here. Be careful when people begin to lead you astray. They begin to deceive you. Take heed that no one deceives you. The second one is found in verse 5, right next to it. And Jesus says, many will come in my name and deceive many. How many times we've heard that Jesus is already here? There's a man right now that claims to be Christ. He's in South America, and he has a great following. It's amazing to me because these people don't look at the Word of God. 
The third, the third scripture is found in verse 11, Matthew chapter 24, verse 11. Listen to what Jesus said. Many false prophets will rise and deceive many. Deception so easily comes in. You see, a deceiver is not going to come to you and say, listen, I'm a false prophet. I'm a false teacher. I'm here to deceive you. No, they do it subtly. They take a little bit at a time. And before you know it, you're sucked into the doctrine. Now, lastly, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, listen to what Jesus says. False Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders. And then he says, to deceive, if possible, even the elect of God. Now, many say the elect of God are the Jews, and that's true. But he's speaking to the body of Christ. He's speaking to the disciples. So it has to include Jew and Gentile. It has to include the body of Christ. Many will be deceived. Even the very elect of God. If you've been a Christian long enough. Some of you have probably seen winds of doctrines that come in to the church. And then uh, they hang around for a couple of years. And then they take off. Well, listen, brother, in order for you to be born again of the Holy Spirit, you need to be slain in the Spirit. And again, what does it say in Scripture? Well, listen, brother, listen, sister, I hear you that you're born again of the Holy Spirit, but you need to speak in tongues. Does that what it says in Scripture? Or you say you've come to the born again experience. Have you been water baptized? And see, they begin to set additives to the Word of God. My Bible says we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest a man should boast. Now, I believe in water baptism. I believe in the gift of the speaking in tongues. Now, the slain in the Spirit, we don't see it anywhere in Scripture. They talk about the 200 that came into the Garden of Gethsemane, and they were looking for Jesus. And when Jesus says, whom do you seek? And he shouted, and his voice, and they fell backward. Those were non-believers. They fell by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean if you're, not, if you're over here in the corner and you're praying all by yourself, you're in your room, you're at your home. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit can't overtake you. But whatever happens to you, you're going to be in control. You're going to be in charge. And so we get all these winds of doctrine. Some of you might recall years back, uh, they don't do it anymore, but uh, evidently, in some churches, when you were coming into the sanctuary, the ushers were literally handing out barf bags. And you were going to come into church because sooner or later, you're going to have to regurgitate some of those demons that are uh, affecting your life. And literally, people were barfing into the bags. Imagine what you would have to go through, ushers, after cleaning up. And then the barking doctrine came into being. And the Holy Spirit takes over your life. And all of a sudden, you're uncontrolled. And you begin to bark. You begin to howl. You begin to cry. Well, church, show me in Scripture where they passed out barf bags at the temple. Show me in Scripture where after praying and the Holy Spirit overtakes you, you begin to howl. You begin to cry. You begin to weep. People get caught up into these things. And so Jesus says, be careful with deception. Now, let's take it a step further. Turn with me uh, to the book of Galatians. 
And let's go to chapter 1. You see, Paul was a stickler when it came to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be a stickler when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I can give you my opinion. You can give me your opinion. But when we begin to become doctrinal, it better be scriptural. And so listen to what Paul writes to the church at Galatia. And I'll tell you what, if anybody understood the rules and the regulations concerning the Old Testament and concerning the Levitical law, it was this Saul of Tarsus that becomes Paul the Apostle. And when Paul comes to the Damascus Highway in Acts chapter 9, and he's born again of the Holy Spirit, Paul is never the same after that. And Paul's whole issue after that, teach the Word of God. And so look at it as he encourages the Galatians here. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, Paul exhorts now the church of Galatia, there's only one gospel. Be careful. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he begins in verse 6. And Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Jesus Christ to a different gospel. There's only one gospel. And so some of these were coming in with a new gospel. It's interesting to me, from time to time I hear people, you know, what about the lost books of the Bible? And we're so concerned about the lost books of the Bible. When we have our scriptures before us, our Bible contains the Old Testament, the New Testament. We have 39 Old Testament. We have 27 New Testament, 66 books. We don't need anything else. But what happens is we're looking for a loophole. We're looking for a lost book that Paul might have changed, you know, uh, some strategy. So in this one lost book, we're looking for, well, listen, Paul said it's okay to get drunk on Friday nights. Or we're looking for another passage. Well, Paul says it's okay if you really love her, if you really love him, to commit fornication. But what about the books that we do have? And so Paul emphasizes the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7 now. Which is not another gospel... But there are some who trouble you, and they want to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. They want to change what's already there. So maybe they're not concerned about the lost books. But they begin to add to the word, listen, or they begin to take away from the word. We need to give the full counsel of God. And that's what we try to do here at Calvary Chapel. That's what we do in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. We teach the word. Now, there's a beautiful passage of Scripture. I want you to take the note here for verse 6 and 7. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22, the conclusion of the book, verses 18 and 19. Now, there are those that say that John the Beloved, through the Holy Spirit, was writing this particular phrase here, these two verses that pertain only to the book of Revelation. But I'm one of those that I believe he's speaking about the Bible itself. He's speaking about the 66 books. And so in Revelation 22, verse 18, because this is the conclusion of the book, in verse 20, or, or verse 18, he says, a warning. Do not add to the word of this book. Man, what we have is what we need. Don't add to it. And then he goes on into verse 19, or don't remove. 
Well, I don't like what it says there. The woman might say, uh, submit to your own husband as unto the Lord. I don't like that part. And so we remove it. Be careful that we, you know, we don't add uh, to the book or don't, we don't take away from the book. And there are those that will say, well, you know, that was Old Testament. He didn't really mean that. Well, Paul was speaking uh, to the New Testament church at that time. But we're here now in the 21st century, and we begin to add and to take away. So be careful, church. Now look at verse 8. We're continuing in Galatians. But even if we, listen to what Paul says, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Now, the Greek word that he uses here is very strong. And he brings it back also in verse 9. The word accursed is anathema in the Greek. That person that does these things, Paul says, let him be accursed. Let him become an anathema. The word accursed to the lowest hell. You know what Paul's saying? Listen, they're going to teach that junk. They're going to go against God's word. Let them go to hell. That's what Paul is saying. Look at verse 9. He takes it to the next step. And he says, as we have said before, so now I say it again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what was you have received, let him be accursed. He warns them twice. Now the Jews in their writing, when they would write something, and it's just like us, we want to make an emphasis. We'll say it more than once. And the Jews would say it twice. Sometimes you say it three times. In other words, they meant business. And so Paul says, if you're going to, you know, trash the gospel of Jesus Christ, let them become anathema. Let them be cursed to the lowest hell. Radical statement. Then he concludes, look at verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I now seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant as of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, prior to his salvation... His whole concept was to please man, to please the Sanhedrin, to please the laws of Moses. Paul was a stickler when it came to the law. On the road to Damascus, he has letters in hands. He's going to Damascus to bring back Christians and even to place them on trial and even some to consent to their death as he did with young Stephen. And so Paul says, hey, I'm here to please God. Not to please man. And church, each one of us should take a stand. I hope you're not here to please me or to please Calvary Chapel, but you better be here to please God. And I'm here not to please you. I'm here to preach. I'm here to teach the Word of God. I'm here to please God. I want one day for God to say to me, to say to you when we enter the pearly gates, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the glory of the Lord. But we must teach the word. Now let's take it one more step. Let's go to another passage. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You have to remember these Judaizers, these false teachers, these false teachers and prophets and evangelists, they were coming in. And undermining, saying, well, listen, what Paul's teaching is fine, but we need to do this. We need to add to it, or we need to take away. And Paul says, man, I want to give you the full counsel of God. He told that to the church at Ephesus when he said his farewell speech to them in Acts chapter 20. 
I want to give you the full counsel of God. And, and I pride myself in that here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, as I've been teaching the word for years, I want to teach the word. Nothing else. You know, I could do a sermon. I could do a topical, and I have. But I believe we need to teach the word. We need to be rooted and grounded in God's word. And so Paul was adamant in this area. Now he comes to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verses 1 through 4. And, and Paul warns, listen, of those who preach another gospel, another spirit, and another Jesus. You say, well, how can that be? It's happening today. It was happening in the time of Paul. And so he begins here in chapter 11, 2 Corinthians. Look at verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. And so Paul, is, he begins by telling them, be patient with me. Some of you might think I'm just rambling. That's the translation. Be patient with me. But what Paul was doing, he was teaching the word of God. Paul's concern was the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, the pure spirit of God. And all he wanted to talk about was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so he goes on now, and he begins to explain it. Look at verse 2. For I am jealous of you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul says, I gave you the gospel, and I presented you to Christ, period, nothing else. I didn't take away from anything. I didn't add to anything. I gave you the full counsel of God. He's telling this to the church at Corinth as he's encouraging the church at Galatia, as he's encouraging now young Timothy there at the church at Ephesus. I like what he says in verse 2, I'm jealous of you. With a godly jealousy, because I betrothed you, he says, uh, to one husband. I gave you to Christ to nobody else. You're not mine. You belong to the Lord. I'm just the shepherd, Paul says. I'm just the messenger, Paul says. And I feel the same, church. Look at verse 3 now. And then Paul explains it. But I fear, lest someone, as the, uh, the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. We know the story. Back in Genesis chapter 3, we know that Eve was deceived by this craftiness, this, you know, the little bag of tricks that Satan comes. Those things that he tempts us with. He knew that Eve was looking at that tree. And he knew that Eve's heart was stirred. And then he begins to tell half-truth and half-lies. God did not say. And what God was looking for, it wasn't the particular fruit, but God was looking for obedience. But as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted by the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul preached the simple gospel. Jesus Christ crucifixed crucified, died, buried, rose again, third day. That's it. The simple gospel. Well, listen, brother, you need to do, listen, sister, you need to do that. And you begin to add. Don't you love what Jesus said to the thief in the cross? This day, 
you will be with me in paradise. Beautiful. What did the thief in the cross do? Did he get off the cross and get baptized? No. Was he speaking in tongues? No. The man never even read scripture, but he believed by faith. Remember this day, me in paradise. And he did. Beautiful, beautiful. Be careful with deception. Then he goes into verse 4. For if he who comes, listen to what he says, preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. You could easily become comfortable, that's what Paul's saying, with another gospel. It could be an easier gospel. With another spirit, because it makes you feel good. Or another Jesus. Well, wait a minute, I thought it was Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, there have been false Jesuses since the time of the early church. And it's going to get more. He spoke about it. Jesus himself spoke about it in Matthew chapter 24 in the last days. And so Paul's bringing it forth. And see, church, we need to know the word of God. We need to know the word of God. You test all things by the word of God. Now, again, Paul only had one string on his guitar. And that string preached Christ. That's it. Nothing else. Paul didn't do programs. Paul didn't do gimmicks. Paul gave them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, I said it earlier, Paul preached Jesus Christ, crucified, died, buried, and rose again on the third day. That's it. That's it. That's it. Be careful when, well, listen, we believe that here at this church, but you also need to do this. And they begin to add. Well, you know, Paul wasn't quite right there. And they begin to take away. Man, all we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul was adamant because of what was going on there at the church at Ephesus. And so he's encouraging a young Timothy. Listen, Timothy, they're going to come to you, but teach the word. They're going to come to you. Stay in the word. It's so easy to go astray. One way it's so easy to go astray the other way. I remember the analogy that I heard years ago, and I never forgot it. Some of you heard it, and, and you know, we say, well, you know, I might be just a little off, but I have a good heart. And they say about a pilot when he takes off, uh, let's say he takes off from LAX, and, you know, he's heading uh, to the Hawaiian Islands, and he sets all his instruments, and once he gets there, and so he just happens to be, let's, let's just make it the benefit of the doubt, a half a degree off. And he looks at it, ah, it's a half a degree off. It'll be okay. But they have enough fuel exactly to get there, a little bit left over. But a half a degree from here to there eventually moves you off to the side. That's what so easily could happen to us if we deviate from the Word of God. Now, let's go back to our text, and we begin in verse 2. These were some of the things that these false teachers were bringing and causing apostasia. They were speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And so let's clarify it. Who is he speaking about? Yes, the Judaizers at the time, the Gnostics at the time, the false teachers at the time. But let's just bring it to our uh, 
place in the 21st century. Preachers, evangelists, pastors, prophets can so easily, listen, they can lie. Speaking as actors with the script and not the word of God. And then he gives the reason. Because their conscience, now listen, their mind, their spirit, their heart has been seared with a hot iron. And so these are the tricks of the enemy. The ploys of the enemy, the devil, Satan himself, they'll cauterize the mind, the heart. Now the word to cauterize, it means branded. Now in the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament, branding was usually for runaway slaves. Remember we studied the book of Philemon, and when Onesimus had run away, uh, he could have put him to death, put him in prison, or he could have branded him, and they would brand him a runaway slave. Usually they placed it on the forehead. But the Greek here is saying these false actors, because the word hypocrisy is the word hypocritos, and the word hypocritos is the Greek word that they would use for acting. And so these false actors have branded their own hearts and minds with sin. They cauterized, they seared, they burned in sin into their heart. These false teachers, they bear the mark of one that is a slave, listen, to their own sin nature. And then they become apostates and they cause others to be apostates. Some of these people, now please, not everybody. Man, there's some beautiful televangelists. There's some beautiful radio teachers out there. But there are those that, what is their sin? Greed, mammon, financial gain. And they just seem to press the issue. I get very frustrated when I'm listening to a radio program. I'm listening to a televangelist on TV. And I'm waiting for the message. And sometimes you'll hear 10, 5 minutes, 10 minutes, sometimes longer. And they're giving you the pitch. And they want this. They need this. And here's the sad part. So many times... The elderly are so caught up because they're, you know, locked in at their homes. They don't go to church that much. and They stay at home, so they got the electronic TV. And so they have the preacher on the radio, and it's so easy. Before my dad passed away, uh, he wasn't going to church anymore, and he's always listening uh, to television and listening to the radio, watching the TV, and he loved it. And, boy, he was getting caught up. And literally, my mom had to hide the checkbook. They're on a fixed income. But my dad was so willing to send $5 here, $5 there. And my mom says, it adds up. And so they work and they pray on the hearts of, of these elderly. They've done some investigations and they've caught these. Man, we're supposed to give the full counsel of God. Again, look at verse 2. Speaking lies in hypocrisy... Having their own conscience here. That's why, I mean, they're already cauterized. The enemy's already duped them. And it's all about their kingdom, not the kingdom of God. It's sad because people get caught up into it. Now, look at verse 3. He takes it further. Not only were they speaking lies, hypocrisy of lies, but then they come to this issue. They were even forbidding some to marry. Then he speaks about abstaining from certain meats. And so let's look at it. In verse 3, these false teachers, some were forbidding to marry. 
and commanding to abstain from uh, foods, and I like this, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. These apostates, in turn, were beginning to teach forbidding to marry. We see that today. A lot of people, uh, they refrain from getting married. They rather live together. And so, because the false teachers are telling them, it's okay. Listen, here's the scenario. It's okay uh, to be single, or it's okay to get a divorce, or it's okay to be gay. We hear that so much today. It's your body. It's your life. Do what feels right. Do what feels good. Then they tell you, and it goes from that scenario, and they tell you to abstain from certain foods. Now, I have to share this. The scripture says, they tell you to abstain from certain foods which God has created for your personal consumption. That's why we give thanks for the things that God provides for us. Because we're Christian and we're thankful and we believe and we know the truth. Now, let me give you a few verses. We're going to speak about the the meats in the next verse. But in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says concerning marriage. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed is undefiled. When you look at the word honorable, that marriage is holy. Marriage is sanctified. Marriage is costly. Costly because Jesus paid for that marriage with his blood. He instituted marriage back in Genesis chapter 2. Now, I like this verse, and I know some of you have gone through painful divorce, and it's, it's never an easy task. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. You know, when the man and the woman say their vows, until death do us part, for rich or for poor, and yet, well, we're not compatible anymore. I need a divorce. The Bible says that God hates divorce. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, the Pharisees, scribes, and Sadducees, they came and they challenged Jesus. Concerning the writing of divorcement, he said, didn't Moses give us a writing of divorcement? Now, you'd have to go back in the Old Testament and you have to study that. And the rabbis were really good at that. They could get a right of divorcement from the rabbi for just about any reason. The wife overcooked the food, undercooked the food, oversalted the food, undersalted the food. He could get a right in a divorcement. If she was caught, the woman, the, the wife was caught in the marketplace talking to another man. And then somebody got it back to the husband. He would go to the rabbi. He could get a right in a divorcement. They could get a right in a divorcement for almost any reason. So then Jesus responds to the Pharisees because they said, didn't Moses give them the writing of divorcement? And he says, Moses did give a writing of divorcement because of the hardness of your hearts. But in the beginning, it was not so. And so here's these Judaizers that were coming in or these false teachers that were coming in and they were forbidding to marry. God forbid. Now, He deals right after marriage, and he deals with the meats. He deals with the foods. And so let's go back to our text. Look at verse 4. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused 
And here's the key. If it is received with thanksgiving. If it is received with thanksgiving. You know, there was such a hardship for many that were coming to saving grace. And some were coming through Judaism. They were leaving the law. It was not an easy task. And then they were approached in the area of the meat laws, the dairy laws. This caused many to stumble, even to the point that they could become apostates, falling away from the faith. Now those of us, like myself, that come from a former uh, Catholic background, I think they've changed the law since. But remember when we could not eat meat on Friday? Literally, if you were to be caught eating a bologna sandwich, uh, according to the teachings, you were bound to go to hell for a bologna sandwich. And they've changed that since. But be careful when we have these laws that they, we can get so easily caught up. Now, listen to this verse. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, these are the words of Jesus. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man or a woman, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man or the woman. The word to defile, uh, this is what profanes, this is what pollutes. But not because you eat meat or you don't eat meat, and not because you're eating only vegetables or you don't eat vegetables. God has set us free, church. And it's so easy to get caught up. You know, it's very popular today. Vegetarians. I mean, there's so many of them. We have them in our own family. But, you know, when you try to press it on everybody else, that's when you get into trouble. Well, listen, you shouldn't be eating that. You should be eating this. And then especially when we hear of the meats that have been tainted and they have to draw back, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds of hamburger meat and such. And then all of a sudden, then we hear about E. coli in the tomatoes. Oh, my gosh. What am I going to do now? E. coli, you know, in broccoli. Well, good. I never liked broccoli anyway. But we get so caught up into these things. Now, to us, it might not mean much. But to the early church and some that press such an issue on you. Now, I'm not against if you want to be a vegetarian, but I look at the scriptures. God has provided the meats for us. God has provided the teeth for us. You look at your teeth. We have the canines in the back. They're for ripping. And I don't think we're supposed to rip broccoli. It's for ripping meat. And again, I'm not against vegetarianism. Now let's turn to Acts chapter 10. If somebody had to deal with this, it was Peter. Peter goes to Cornelius' house. In Acts chapter 10, verse 9, we're going to begin. And he goes to Caesarea. That's where uh, Cornelius lives. Caesarea was a very Gentile city. And Peter goes there to minister. Now maybe in the back of Peter's mind, he's thinking... Am I going to be able to eat what they're going to serve? He's on top of the roof. That's where they would kind of go for their patio area. And Peter's praying. And watch what the Lord does. It's so beautiful. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, 
Approaching the city, Peter went up on top of the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, the Greek word for trance, he goes into a state of ecstasy or he's out of himself. Now, that's the best translation I could give you. It's kind of like you, you, you go, wow, it seems like I've been there before. Well, Peter was in this trance here. In verse 11, and he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet of being led down to the earth in its four corners. And it contained, now I want you to underline this, all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles. Ladies, I guess you would like that. Out of the earth and then birds of the air. And so this vision that Peter received was very visible to him. And so let us use our imagination. Uh, Peter could have easily seen uh, on this great sheet. He could have seen a goat. He could have seen a sheep. He could have seen a cow. Now we can all buy these. But then if you're Jewish, then Peter says, oh, there's a pig. Whoa, wait a minute. Unclean. I don't go there. And then he sees a snake. Well, you know, I'm not one to eat snake, but, you know, if you've ever ate a rattler, you know what they tell you, tastes just like chicken. But then what if Peter saw a peacock? They have eaten peacock, and they said, sorry to use the cliche, tastes like chicken. But what did Peter see? But listen to what God says to Peter now. I love this. In verse 13, then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And so this is a command from God. And then Peter has the audacity to respond to the Lord. Surely not, Lord. He says, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything common or impure or unclean. Peter refers back to his Levitical law. I have never eaten anything unholy, anything that's foul, any type of food that's ceremonially unclean. And then verse 15, the voice comes back. The voice spoke to him the second time. Do not call anything common or impure that God has made clean. That's the key. God said, do not call anything unholy or foul what I have made and I have cleansed, I have purified. That's why we pray, church. In verse 16, he brings it to the conclusion. This happened three times. Remember the Jews when they wanted to get a, a point across? Not once, not twice, and even to the point of three times. And so he says this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken uh, to heaven. Now we don't know what Peter did finally eat. But he's at a Gentile house. And did Cornelius bring out, uh, you know, maybe he had a Hispanic background. He brought out a good bowl of carnitas. He's not supposed to have pork meat. Or he brought out a nice rack of ribs or some pork chops. What does Peter do? Peter, I've cleansed it. Peter, it's purified because it's my creation. And so it's so easy to get hung up. Years ago, I had the opportunity uh, to fly with one of our missionaries, and it was a three-week journey, and we flew out of LAX and uh, ended up in, uh, 
in Germany, and then from Germany, we took train, and then we eventually went all the way up to Moscow. And we visited various places that this missionary was, you know, frequenting. Well, uh, Tony, you know, he schooled me, and he said, listen, Bob, we're going to be going to places. They're going to offer you foods, and being in the mission field, you have to be very considerate. Sometimes they're offering you their best. And for us, the Western mind, it's not the best. And he says, just pray. And man, I tell you, I, I was so concerned. You know, you're going to get the upset stomach. You're going to get, you know, Moscow's revenge. I don't know. You thought it'd say Montezuma. Huh? And honestly, church, three weeks, and we ate some strange, strange things. Never got sick once. We prayed over everything. Another missionary friend later, he said, did you take a purifying kit, kit for your water? I said, no. Did you take the tablets for the water? I said, no. He says, which water were you drinking? I said, the water from the train. Oh, that's no good. What did I know? Never got sick, church. Never. We ate and we drank their water. And so my missionary trip was over. And from Germany, we flew all the way uh, to Newark, New Jersey. And from Newark, New Jersey, I'm supposed to get another flight. And then I'm going to meet my wife in California in Los Angeles, LAX. And so I got about a three-hour layover, go into the bathroom, uh, change my clothes, get cleaned up. Everything's ready. I got the layover. And then I sit down and I look up. And there's this big old black dude, man. And he's flipping burgers. And he's waving. And he's got a big sign. Cheeseburger, fries, and a Coke. And at that time, $2.89. And I go, all right, I haven't had cheeseburger, fries, and a Coke. I've been out of country. Oh, I got sicker than a dog <laughs> in Newark, New Jersey. And I said, I'm never going back to that city. And I said, Lord, you've protected me in Moscow and Leningrad. We were in the underground cities and ate things that you shouldn't have because we wanted to be, you know, compatible. We wanted to minister the word. And in Newark, New Jersey. But the key is to pray. The key is to pray. Let's go back to our text now. Look at verse 5. And he's, again, speaking about the things that we eat. He's speaking about the meats. And then we just read Peter. It's not unclean. I've purified it. In verse 5, for it is sanctified. It is sanctified. Whatever you eat when you pray, it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. God sanctifies through prayer. Whatever we buy, ladies, listen. Uh, whatever we cook, whatever we eat, let it be sanctified. The word is hagios. Whatever we make holy, whatever we consecrate, set apart for God. Do it for His word and prayer. I've often shared this and just, you know, some of the places that we frequent, some of the places that we eat at, we better be praying. When we go to Southern California, they have a category. And so my daughter said, let's go eat over here. And I said, well, I want to go eat at this other place. And she goes, oh, no, Dad, we can't go there. It's a D rating. I go, but I like their food. No, 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 we can't go there. It's a D rating. And so we go to the A rating, and I still didn't like the food. You see, I have a theory. Eat what's put before you. This is what happened in Newark. I didn't have it with me. That's why we carry Tabasco. 
man, just splash it on. It'll kill all the amoebas. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but pray. Pray. I tell you, when we were in Europe and some of the things that they fed us, one time they were, it, it didn't look good. And my friend Tony looks over and he's trying to be discreet from our family there, basically, that was, you know, taking us in. He goes, Bob, pray. I go, I am. And still crawling, you know what I mean? For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now, listen to this. Prayer is communication with God, right? Ask God to bless your food. Ask God to bless what uh, you buy for consumption. Don't trust. Listen to this. Don't trust the stamp on the piece of meat because it says USDA approved. I trust it because we pray for our foods. I trust it because I say, Lord, sanctify it. Lord, bless it. Now, I want you to turn to another passage again. And this is beautiful. Go to Genesis. Go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. And God blessed the foods that he created for our consumption. In Genesis 1, look at verse 29. Uh, I want to make sure I'm in the right text. In verse 29, and God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. God provides all the things that is growing for us. Verse 30, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to every uh, thing that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And then he concludes it in verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning was the sixth day. God looked at what he had created for our pleasure, and he said it was good, and he blessed it, church. And so the things that God, if you want to be a vegetarian, he made the herbs and, and the nuts and the berries and the, and the vegetables. He made it for us. And if you want to partake of the meats, that's your prerogative. He made it for us. It's a beautiful concept. It's so easy to get caught up. Now, there's a food channel. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, uh, this guy, Andrew. And he eats... All the strange things. And I've seen him on TV. Uh, I don't remember his last name. Yeah, Zimmer. Andrew Zimmer. I watch it all the time. And Mary goes, why do you watch that? I go, I, I, I might be back in Europe and have to eat bugs again. I mean, the guy eats some stuff that you go, whoa. He had a frog heart and the heart was beating. And then he goes, he dips it in some sauce and he eats it. I'm not going to go that far. But he eats some bizarre things. Here's God says, it's all edible. It's all edible. I tell my kids, you know, we need to eat what God puts before us. You never know. We used to do this to our kids. Listen, there's people in China that are starving. Dad, send the plate to China. That's what they used to tell us. But what God makes, it's for us, church. Now, go back to verse 5 again real quick. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. 
Listen to the customs. The custom of saying grace before meals was practiced by the Jews and taken over by the early Christian church as to also pray for their food, their meals. But also, it was customary, listen, for the Jews to read or quote a portion of Scripture and then pray for the blessing. I was reading some history in one of my commentaries. The Brits, they say a lot of them don't do it anymore, but the Brits incorporated breakfast with a wearing of a tie as being proper, and then Scripture reading, dad brought forth, and then prayer of thanksgiving. Again, being thankful for your foods. Being thankful for your foods. And so Paul comes to the conclusion now. These apostates. It's so easy to drive somebody, listen, to apostasia. Because you put so much rules and regulations, you can cause them to fall away from the faith. If that's what Christianity is about, I'm not going to do it. And so this is an encouragement to me. Verse 6. As Paul encourages young Timothy, if you instruct uh, the brethren in these things, Timothy, what we just studied, verses 1 through 5, if you instruct uh, the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. I love this verse because it ministers to me that this is what we're supposed to do, teach the word. As God's given us the word, to teach the word. Not just to give you a sermonette, not just to give you, you know, a topical, not just to make you feel good, but to teach the word. And so as we're going through 1 Timothy, and then we're going to go through 2 Timothy, and then we're going to go through Titus, we're going to get all the teachings. And so listen to verse 6 now. I'm going to give you a translation. Paul's instructions to Timothy. Timothy, teach those truths to the brothers and sisters there at Ephesus. This is your pastoral call as an honest servant of Jesus Christ. And then he says this word, educated by the messages of faith and the sound teaching. That's sound doctrine. Sound teaching, healthy teaching, healthy doctrine. You have carefully understood and so what I've been taught, what Timothy's been taught, what Paul was taught, then we give it also to the body of Christ. Let me give you a couple of verses here. God instructed Paul in the Word of God. Back in Galatians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, it tells us that Paul spent three years in Arabia as the Holy Spirit taught him. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, Paul instructed Timothy in the Word of God. He tells him, continue in what you have learned. In 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul says, From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Timothy's grandmother and Timothy's mom taught him in the Word of God. In 2 Timothy 2.15, I love this verse. If you have a King James, it reads like this. Study to show thyself approved unto God. The word to study has always intrigued me there. It means to be diligent as you go through the Word of God. That's what we did here this morning. Uh, to labor in the Word of God. That's what we did here this morning. I, I like this translation. Study to show thyself approved. Toil in the Word of God. It's so easy just to read Scripture. But what does the Holy Spirit have to say to us? We're going to conclude in verse 6. 
Paul leaves us basically, I see three points here. I'm going to make them, uh, bring them forth to you. The first point, if you instruct the brethren in these things. And so Paul encourages Timothy, teach the church. Teach the church, Timothy. Lay down to their remembrance, the Greek is telling us. Even now, there is a danger of apostasy. That was the whole reason he was telling them to teach them. And that's why I desire to teach you that you will not falter, that you will not fall away from the truth, but that you become eager and desire the word of God. Secondly, in verse 6, nourished in the words of faith. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, by obeying my command, you will prove to be an honest minister of Jesus Christ because, and here's where that word comes in, you were educated in this faith. You see, don't just walk around and say, I'm born again of the Holy Spirit. Don't just walk around and say, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. How do you know? Because we study the Word of God, and as the Word of God speaks to our hearts. Lastly, in verse 6, this doctrine you have carefully followed. He's encouraging Timothy. These sound doctrines... These healthy teachings you have personally understood, Timothy. Here's the key. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. As we study his word, as we seek his face, as we knock on his door, as we ask, the Holy Spirit teaches us. Some of you have experienced that. You want to know something. And you just haven't, you know, understood it. And then it might come forth in a teaching. It might come forth as you're reading the word. But the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Here's the last verse we conclude. In John, the gospel, chapter 16, verse 13. These are the words of Jesus. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. The word to guide you into all truth. He will teach you. The Holy Spirit guides us as he teaches us the word of God. Again, what do the scriptures have to say? Not what Pastor Bob, not what Calvary Chapel, not what the televangelist, not what the radio preacher. What does the word of God have to say? Test it, how? By the word of God. The Bible doesn't forbid marriage. The Bible doesn't, you know, forbid the eating of vegetables or eating of meats. And we're free in Christ. We have to look at the Word of God, not what man has to say. What does the Word of God have to say? Let's stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for insights in your precious Word, how the Holy Spirit does teach us if we're open. But we saw those false teachers that their minds, their hearts, their very souls were cauterized. And they wanted to teach one thing. And sometimes it's personal gain. So, Father, teach us that it's your gospel. It's the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul said. Nothing else. Lord, warn us there's another Jesus out there. Another spirit, another gospel that's being preached. Make sure that... We're looking at the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, encourage each and every one that's come this morning. I'd like to give this opportunity before we close. With every eye closed, every head bowed, I want to ask you, uh, maybe somebody's here this morning, you've never received Christ. 
We're not here to embarrass you. I want to pray for you right there where you're at. I'm not going to ask you to come up. But if that's you, you need Jesus in your heart. Don't leave here without him. If that's you, raise your hand, and I'll say a simple prayer of faith. Anybody here this morning before we conclude? Praise the Lord. I see your hand. Anybody else would like to come to saving grace? It's a simple prayer of faith. And then if the rest of us are Christians, praise God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this young man that raised his hand. Touch his heart, Lord, as he confesses uh, his sins to you, Lord. Forgive him. Set him free, Lord. Come into his life. Give him a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, Lord. Fill him with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Welcome him into the kingdom of God. And Lord, for the rest of us, we pray that we would stay rooted and grounded in your word. Bless your people as they've come, Lord. Bless the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back. It's a form of our worship as we give to you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all agree by saying Amen.